Hello and welcome to the Chonda Living Podcast. My name is Charlie and today I'm joined with two guests to talk about the topic of expat businesses in Chengdu and specifically why they close. I would love for you guys to introduce yourselves, but I'll say right off the bat, I'm joined with Chris from Dave's Oasis and Johnny from Johnny Five Donuts, two notable members of the expat community in Chengdu. Say what's up, guys. Hey, what's, what's up? Good? Hey, yo. Recently, Johnny Five Donuts closed, and this is a big event in Chengdu. I mean, Johnny Five Donuts opening was a big event in Chengdu, and we previously recorded a podcast about that, which was very well received because your donut shop was fantastic and everybody loved it. Thank and you. it was a real hub of the expat community in Chengdu. And so I think that a lot of expats feel that really sucks having your place closed. But there's a much bigger trend of expat businesses closing. There have been a lot which have closed this year. And we thought we'd sit down and talk about why that is or what really goes on kind of behind the scenes with these kind of businesses. So maybe you can start by, for anybody who didn't listen to the previous podcast, describe you know, how you came to Chengdu and, and kind of the history of your shop. Yeah, so just really quick. Um, I'm friends with Mike from Mike's Pizza, which is a very prominent expat business uh, here in Chengdu. And you know, I came out here just to experience China. I'd never left the States before, and I was psyched to be able to come out and, and start something. And uh, I think what I wanted to start originally was, was, you know, a chain of shops. And then I realized that what we could create in that tiny space was so much more than, than a donut shop. You know, people would drink beers late at night. I mean, it was, it was really a place where people went just to hang out and just to feel like they were not in China for a second. And being able to provide that space for two, two and a half years has been, was, was really big. And, uh, I think it really changed and became something, something a lot more than, than just, uh, just a bakery. So, so that's what we created and it was on Tongslin and, and, you know, people moved. I mean, I met many people who moved to Tongslin because of my shop and Mike's pizza and, and some of the other expat businesses that are there. So I, I do feel like I let those people down, you know, by closing, but, um, but yeah, so that, that's, that's what we, that's what we created. And then Chris, uh, has a bar a little bit of a distance from, from my shop, but yeah, we recently published an interview on John Living, which I recommend anyone listen to this check out. And it's pretty in-depth about the history of Dave's Oasis. And it's with Dave, who's the original owner and creator of the bar, and also with Chris, who is now the proprietor of it. But for anyone who doesn't know Dave's Oasis, maybe you can describe what you're up to now. Uh, sure. So let me give a brief intro to myself. So I've been in Chengdu for six years now. I've uh, been in, involved with a lot of different things. Uh, didn't really plan on coming here to start a bar. It's kind of just uh, didn't really know what I was going to do here. I just wanted to do my own thing. And uh, I was first exposed to Dave's Oasis, my first trip in China like 10 years ago. And uh, when I came back to Chengdu, it was still here. And uh, I was a regular customer. I went there to play poker because it was one of the few... Uh, running poker games and I made a lot of money there so I I really enjoyed being there uh, not only because I made a lot of money there but because I was friends with Dave he was a really interesting guy and it was just a comfortable bar to be in it's for those that haven't been there it's this kind this uh, tiny kind of dingy little dive bar probably the most or only authentic uh, uh, or genuine dive bar in Chengdu, so it's got uh, graffiti all over the walls and ceilings from travelers that have been there 
uh, over the span of, I think it's been around for 16 or 17 years. So there's a lot of history. I'm, I'm not going to go over that. You can check out the, the interview. Uh, but it came, I came to a point where um, I didn't really have any career plans. And I decided, hey, you know, I'm, I, I just wanted to uh, do something food-related. And I uh, was looking for my own place to, to open up a restaurant. I, I had uh, several different concepts in mind. But it was a pain in the ass because, um, you know, just there's, there's such a high barrier to entry. You have to pay this, uh, you know, this huge transfer fee for any location. And then all these locations were not that great. And I was sitting down uh, at Dave's Oasis, which was at that time kind of a failing um, business. And I thought maybe I can do something here and uh, kind of revive it. And so I think you've done a fantastic job to revive it. And I hadn't been to Dave's Oasis when I first came here. I only went after you got it, got a hold of it. And it's awesome. Well, by the time you got here, Johnny, it was pretty much dead. Right. That's what I'd heard. Yeah. When I first came to Chengdu, it was a very active place. And then over time, it just kind of started to die out. And do then you, now it's revived because of Chris. Do you think that that the expats, the you know where they're centralized, has sort of moved further down south? Is that one of the problems that, that Dave's Oasis faced originally before Chris came in and revived it or what, I doubt what it. was it? I don't think that, I mean, Chris probably has a better idea of this than me, but in my idea, Dave was there and he was very actively involved in the place and Dave's Oasis was listed in Lonely Planet and it had a long history and a lot of notoriety, even when I came to Chengdu, which was over 10 years ago. So eventually Dave left and kind of what tends to happen, what I noticed, and we'll probably come up on this topic again, is that people who start a business and have it go well, if they leave or if their presence is missing, then a lot of cases, it just falls apart. You know, So the like active nature of a proprietor who's there taking care of all the details is pretty much necessary for the long-term success of an expat business in, in China. That's what I've observed. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah. What Charlie said is, is pretty much right. Though, uh, you know, Expats did move down south. Now you see them kind of uh, centralized around the Poly Center area, the Tonsiling area. Though since I've come back, uh, since I've uh, started working at Dave's, people are willing to to travel. You know, it's Chengdu is not a big city, so it doesn't yeah, really, really matter uh, where people live around here. That's also kind of a nice area that you have there too. You're right by the river. It's kind of a central location. No matter which part of the city you live in, it's mm-hmm. pretty much accessible. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing else around there, though. So, like, at first, I was kind of skeptical, like, oh, there's there's going to be no foot traffic. Like, our, our neighbors are a, a China mobile store and a, like, a stationary store. You mean so China mobile's not packed at 10 o'clock at night? <laughs> uh, sometimes, sometimes, right. but not usually. Um, what was I going to say? We'll just move on. Yeah, let's move on. I am curious about the donut shop. And how the donut shop closed well, and I think how you, we got to this point. You said exactly how it closed, which is what happens is that, you know, as a proprietor, I mean, if you don't put all your time and effort into doing that one thing, then it can't, it, it's difficult to make it successful. I mean, there's two ways to enter the business, I think. If, if you go in like the Peter's Tex-Mex route, right, where you want to make decent food uh, at an okay price that's sort of more marketed 
to Chinese people, that is not an expat business, right? So if you say expat businesses, I think we talk about businesses that expats would frequent. And I know that you meet people who all the time, who's like, oh, we just got to, to, to China, you know, two months ago, Peter's is so good. And it's like, well, have you tried Mike's? You're like, no. It's like, if you tried Redbeard, it's like, no. It's like, if you've been to Taikuli, they're like, no. It's like, yeah, yeah, Peter's is better than the noodle shop that you ate for the first three weeks you were here, but it's not awesome, right? I mean, I eat there every now and then, but it's, I don't crave it. I'm not like, oh God, I want to go to Peter's and I'll get some, get some chicken strips or whatever. Yeah, it's, it's really for Chinese people, right. as you say. It's like right. a Western-themed place for a local audience. And sure. it does very well with that. Yeah, absolutely. They do a great, they do a great job. And and they do, I do think that Peter's is a nice stepping stone into real, real Western businesses where people or locals say, oh, hey, I tried some Peter's and now I want to try something else. And they go to Mike's or whatever. Right. So, so they do step into that. But as far as expat owned businesses, if you're not willing to like sweat and bleed into it every waking second of every day, it just can't, it just can't be right. I mean, it's, there's no, there's no basis of education for Western food in China. So these people here have eaten the same thing since they were kids. When you guys were kids in America, right? Your parents were like, oh, let's do Mexican tonight. It's like, oh, let's do, let's do Chinese. Let's do whatever. I mean, even if it was an American version of that, its roots were still somewhere in whatever country it came from, right? We didn't only eat hot dogs and hamburgers seven days a week, 365 days a year, our entire lives, right? Right. Right. So... So, but with this culture, I feel like they really have only eaten Sichuan food, which the flavor palette is fairly similar on every day forever. So, so it's hard to find. So people are like, oh, why don't you just hire someone to do what you do? It's like sort of doesn't work out. Doesn't so really well work in though, a lot of right? cases because yeah. they just don't have a they just don't have that cultural basis of this is this and this is that. So yes, there are a couple of the businesses we'll talk about, I think, failed because they decided to move the work onto someone else who couldn't do it. But in the case of the donut shop, I'll just say for the years that you were running that place, you, what you did an incredible job. Anyone who went inside there were, was interacting with you and you have like a magnetic personality, which is perfect for running that type of business. So people began to associate you with the business and vice versa. And it was right. a really positive loop Absolutely. Of, of like a good experience when you go inside the shop. You Thank welcome you. them in. You're friendly. You're always like positive and upbeat. The product which you make is really good. And you did that for years. So, and I know, you know, how much work it was. You would wake up at crazy hours to prepare the food which you would make and you would stay up all night and you, your whole lifestyle was like around running the shop. Right. I live upstairs from the shop. Yeah. I mean, it, and so it has to be. So what happened to me is that when all of the when all of the things that because like running the shop my shop and, and Chris can attest I'm sure is like being a bartender right so people bring in all the things that happen to them every day and it's like they want to sort of like unload that right so you have it's exhausting yeah absolutely so so and and if I think if your life is totally fine where where everything is good with you and and you're you're sort of at one with yourself and you're in a good in a good space then being able to absorb then being able to absorb all the stuff that people are dumping on you is okay because you have a lot of room for that, right? But the fuller you get with your own issues or, or, or with the things that are happening to you personally, then the harder it is to absorb all of the, the external things as well, right? So that's what happened to me. It's like I sort of got in my head and I had some 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 stuff happen, you know, my personal life that that I just wasn't able to absorb all of the things that people were dumping 
in the shop, which is what the shop is designed to do, right? So it's, it's I'm not blaming them at all. It's my own it's my own downfall. So, and as the shop got more popular, people would bring people in on the first day that they were in China. Like, oh, this person just got to my school. I had to bring him in and introduce him. Like, this is the place I come to vent. And I'm like, cool. <laughs> it's really awesome. You know, I'm really happy you're here. But so that so that's sort of what happened. What happened to me? So then, I, at some point, it just sort of reached a boiling point where I said, you know, is it is this what I want to do forever? You know, right. and is this is this what I want to spend every second on? And do I want to say no to every Natuki bike ride? And do I want to say no to every you know every time that someone asks me to go Dave's Oasis? And I mean, do I want to say no to this to doing this podcast? Right? Because this is on a Saturday at three p.m. Or would yeah. it be? So when did you first get the idea that? you know, maybe I don't want to do this anymore. Can you describe what that was like? I think, um, you know, I was thinking, I was sitting in the shop and there were a lot of people in there and I thought to myself, you know, where would I hang out if the shop wasn't here? Because people hang out in there all the time. I mean, I would see the same people like five days a week sometimes. And I'm sure, Chris, is this the same with you? Yeah, pretty much. We have, um, we've got a a lot of regulars that are right. Here, like so, they're uh, just sort of just sort of hanging out yeah. every whatever day, right? Tuesday, yeah. Wednesday, Thursday, maybe even. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, and I thought to myself, where would I hang out if I if I didn't have if the shop wasn't here? If I didn't spend every day at the shop, I didn't even know. I couldn't even answer that question. But that was the first question I asked myself: like, what would I do if the shop wasn't here? And then I also and so so then at the same time, I was I was in a relationship which was a little bit which was traumatic. It's a little bit stressful and and. Um, and I'll tell you what what exactly happened. So so the exact time that I that I knew that I wanted to to, to sh- close the shop was um so I'd gotten in a in an argument with a friend and uh and I realized that like I couldn't just go home, right? So so I can't just peace out and close the shop down whenever I want. So so I'm sort of like sort of like there, right? And I sort of have to be on. Whenever I'm there, I need to be on. So the, this this person comes in and he's like, I said, Hey man, can you just go? Cause I, you know, I I, I can't can't deal with this. So he's just sort of want to push the issue. He wanted to argue about whatever. So I ended up getting in like a physical fight with him in front of the shop, like right there. And then, and then he ended up like leaving and the big crowds forming, right? It's like China crowds and stuff. And then someone came in like 30 seconds later and my colleague's like, Hey, we need to make this person a coffee. And I, I like that one second, I was like, yeah, I don't really want to make that person a coffee. Like, you know, I just want to like not do that. And I thought I'm done. And that was it. Yeah, I've experienced uh, some similar, I've had similar experiences where just like you hate people, you know, in certain moments, right? If you're, if you're in a bad mood. That seems completely understandable. (laughs) Both of those things. I can picture that also. It seems like a really difficult job. I think what's amazing is just the degree to which you committed yourself to it. And it's, it definitely doesn't shock me that the, uh, donut shop is closed just because I know the degree of commitment that it required. And it just seems unsustainable. You know, it's like you certainly have other things that you want to do, which are incompatible with the donut shop lifestyle. I was actually talking with a friend about the closing of your shop recently. And he said, Hey, maybe we'll see Johnny like out, out and about. And he's like, won't that be weird? And I'm like, yeah, that will be weird because none of us have ever seen you anywhere except for in the shop. It's like if you want to find Johnny, like you know where to find him and you won't find him anywhere else because he's there all the time. And it's great. We're excited to see the new Johnny out out and about. Yeah, dude, like I've been wild. at Dave's Oasis more and it's just like going in and just, I'm just like so satisfied to, to be able to say, okay, well, it's like, hey, do you want to have one more drink? It's like, yeah, okay. You know, <laughs> I don't have to go to work in the morning. Like, yeah. like I, I mean, it's, 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 it's great. It's, it's, um, 
totally different. But you know what happened was for me, and this is something that 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 I'm really blessed by, is that I have a really strong foundation of people who want to see me out, right? So it's like I don't have like the loneliness that people can experience when they come to China for the first time. You know, and it's that super tough. You have so, a, you have like a massive social network, right? I mean, <laughs> very I have a, considerable. I, yeah, there's a lot of people who I know, and 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 I've been able to help so many people. I mean, I mean, just just there's this one thing that I'll tell you guys that that um try to make it through the story because it's tough. But um, so a good friend of mine uh, who who I absolutely love, she's amazing. Anyway, so she had like a really bad experience in Hong Kong. She had like a panic attack, right? So they take her to the hospital in Hong Kong and like everything is crazy with her. And um, right at the same time, like about a couple of weeks before, I'd met someone in the shop who was like, a, who was a professor here just visiting in Chengdu. Um, and uh, so anyway, so she flies back here and she was telling me what happened. And I said, oh, one of my, one of my friends is a clinical psychologist. He specializes in this exactly, you know, and he, uh, um, he took he took her to the hospital and paid for all of her care. Um, he paid for all of her care and uh, just took such good care of her, and she's doing great now. You know, and the fact that I knew that guy in that second, and I was able to, like, share that contact, and, like, and like he was so loving to her was such a powerful thing, you know, and that's what I miss the most, honestly. It's not about the donuts, really the coffee it's like the people man totally yeah it really wasn't just about the donuts that's, i think that's that seems very clear because like you described it was not just people come in and get a donut and leave it's like uh it's a lifestyle destination and it doesn't surprise me to hear that people move to tones Lynn just because of the donut shop and because of mike's pizza kitchen because those places are such institutions you know and also just the the speed at which your donut shop in particular established itself as a, a must go destination in Chengdu. It's pretty remarkable. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, that was, yeah. I, I was, I was surprised too. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it, but you know, it was, I had a huge support from obviously from Mike and, and, and from the whole community. I mean, expats, everything happens faster here. Right. I think, I think when, you know, when you're in America, you'd never like walk up to somebody in the store and be like, Hey bro, you from here? Like, yeah, of course they are, right? <laughs> yeah, but yeah, there's like a kinship. There is a kinship, right? And and that's why I get, I honestly get upset when like I try to give a, a you know, another Lawai on the street, like a what's up and they're like, don't, they like look away. It's like, hey, fuck you, bro. <laughs> what are you doing? Like, we're supposed to be, you know, we're supposed to like at least acknowledge each other what, or else what are we doing here? Go back home and don't acknowledge anybody. Yeah, Chengdu, let's hope Chengdu does not become like Shanghai or Beijing. Yeah, that's Those, those heard, places yeah. are like that for sure. Right. So, Moving on from the donut shop, though, we actually have a bunch of other venues, which the three of us talked about in the last couple of days, which are expat businesses, which have recently closed. Let's go through this list because the donut shop closing is a big event and that's worthy of a conversation in itself. But this is actually a much bigger phenomenon, which we're seeing. Recently, the Lazy Pug closed. Mm -hmm. which has been here for a very long time. Very long time. Um, Comrade Chili Art House, which I guess found out today, I guess closed. Um, I'm sorry. Art House is actually is closed. The one on the river. Okay. Yeah. Poly, you, no, I'm sorry. Poly Center Art House is closed. The okay. one on the river is still there and, and doing fine. 
I see. Okay. Polycenter. It was a bit. That was a yeah. It's a, just one of them. They had two locations, and one location closed. I see. So I see. Okay. Fun. So on our list, we got Lazy Pug, Comrade Chili, this art house location, Rumba, which I guess closed, mm-hmm. and uh, Machu Picchu, which closed at the end of last year. Mm-hmm. The OG, the OG original yeah. Machu Picchu. Yeah, yeah. Right. So yeah. to ask the big question, I mean, it, are there any general reasons that you guys can think of why these places close? Uh, well, there's various reasons, and we kind of uh, danced around a few of them uh, when we were talking about our own businesses. Uh, I think a big one, though, is is not knowing the the target demographic, right? So a lot of these businesses, they'll come here, uh, and they... <laughs> technical difficulties. <laughs> there you go. Uh, but a lot of these business owners, they come here and they come up with this concept like, oh, I'm going to do whatever concept it is. And uh, because it doesn't exist here and people are going to love it. But they, they kind of have a disconnect with what the local population wants. And they think that the foreign uh, demographic that will the, uh, come to their business is much larger than it is. And you got to remember that's like less than 1% of the local population here and so that is an excellent point yeah from a business perspective it's just it's just terrible to uh to cater to such a small niche and not understanding like the the local culture it's also a big issue Mm -hmm. the uh anytime anyone asks me for for advice about about any kind of of restaurant like i'll give you an example i had i talked to a guy just a couple of days ago and he's like i want to open up a hot dog joint and i was like cool so it's like, he's like, yeah, I want to like cater to foreigners mostly. I was like, okay, so how many foreigners do you think are here? He's like, I don't know, like, like 30,000. I was like, okay, so how many Chinese people are here? He's like 14 million. I was like, okay. So, so like, I'd rather cater to 14 million people. I mean, open up a hot pot restaurant, you're guaranteed to be successful pretty much. As long as you don't, you know, serve cat or something, you'll be right. fine. There's like 30,000 hot There's, pot restaurants. Yeah, and, and all of them are successful. <laughs> how is it possible? Because it's like the number one, number one thing, right? Yeah. So, but, but also I think that, that sourcing ingredients is super difficult and, and super expensive. It's like, you know, just, just like this, think about hot dogs again. Right. So, so how much do you guys want to pay for a hot dog? Honestly, like loaded, what would you pay? 30 quai. 30 quai. Okay. Chris. 20. You pay 20 quai. Right. So if you think about, if you want to do a dope hot dog, it's six quai for the dog cost, right? The bun, you making it yourself. Are you buying it? You buy it. It's three quai, two quai, right? You make it. It's one quai. Now we're at seven quai. What's next? Ketchup, mustard, relish. Uh, that's not that's not cheap. You making your own relish? You buying it in a jar? If you buy it in a jar, then it's you know then it's one quai per serving. You add one quai for ketchup, one quai for mustard. You're at eleven quai. You got to multiply it by three to keep your cost. You haven't added rent, AC, staff, no nothing at all, right? So it's like now you're now you're at thirty three quai for a hot dog. You have that's basic. We're not talking like your chili cheese dog and your and you know your. Your Chicago dog, which has the custom pickled everything, and it's it's like sourcing all the stuff that's cheap in America is expensive here. Right. So opening a hot dog stand makes sense there. Did uh did you run a business before Johnny Fives, like back in the states? Um, no, I worked at a lot of uh, I worked in restaurants and in some management stuff before okay. I before I came here, but I didn't actually run run a business. Yeah, that's another interesting factor that I didn't think of, and I'm included, and in, I'm in this boat. Uh, a lot of people that start their own businesses here, they have no experience right no business experience and, right and people don't even consider like basic things like uh ingredients costs mm-hmm. and uh 
and then they they jump into this right. this you know this scary world of business and there's so many different areas where you can just mess it up. Yeah. So many. Well, when you said the barrier to entry is super high, I would say it's not that high. Like if you came from America, right, and you were, you know, you worked in like banking or or, or something and you have a couple hundred grand in the in the bank, spending $20,000 opening a restaurant in China is not that much, right? So I mean, the barrier to entry is high if you make 3,000 RMB a month, but it's not that high if you have decent money. Yeah, relative uh, to opening a business, especially right. a restaurant elsewhere, right. it's it's not that high. It's, yeah. like, it's really bad in the U.S. It's definitely relative for sure. It's really relative, yeah. I mean, just to go through some of these specific examples. So one of the places which closed was Rumba. Do you yeah. guys know when this closed? I know Chris from Rumba. Uh, I know he won Mike Chili Cook-Off two years ago, so it was open then. Yeah, right? that's quite an achievement. So, so then, but he did not participate in last year's, so it must have closed more than a year ago. Wow, I did not realize that at all. But I knew the restaurant. I knew Chris as well, who's Chris, the cool guy, the Chinese proprietor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he lived in the states for a decade at least mm-hmm. in New York and worked in finance, I believe, and decided to come back to Chengdu and open a restaurant. And this was a Latin themed restaurant, right? And I went there. I thought it was okay. It wasn't bad. But it didn't feel super authentic to me. Um, and the owner was, you know, Chris seemed very um, optimistic about the prospect of his restaurant. And it was in Lang Kwai Fung, mm. which is a super expensive part of the real, city. Real expensive. Yeah. Very expensive. So high stakes, um, a lot of pressure to keep that place open. Well, too. and also, I would argue that you know the location of Rumba in Lang Kwai Fung was not phenomenal. Well, Lan Kwai Fung in general is kind of like a maze. So yeah. I had been there several times and I still couldn't find it on foot. I mean, I would be like wandering around like, where is it at? You know, right. right. same thing with Taiku Lee actually. But um, absolutely. Lan Kwai Fung, it's, I mean, so expensive. I find that it's very, very difficult to build a sustainable business in Lan Kwai Fung unless you have something super special mm-hmm. and you're really an astute, competent, you know, business person and right. manager. So Rumba seemed like the kind of place that I felt like there's no way this place is going to stay open. Like this is just a finite amount of time until this guy like makes a mistake and then he's going to be out of here just because the overhead is so considerable. Well, and you got to have this place packed like all the time right. just to break even. It may not even be he makes a mistake. I mean, the, the whole the whole thing, anything, any number of things could could contribute to to it closing that have really nothing to do with him at all, right? I mean, yeah. I think that I think that places like the Sultan are a little smarter where they where they're open for 10 years and they have a pretty good reputation and, and you know it's a cool spot and then they go to Taiku Lee and then the Sultan at Taiku Lee has this dope place and and you know but they they focus a lot on outdoor seating and hookah and stuff that people can can participate in and can be seen. Have you guys been to Taiku Lee in the last 2 weeks? No, not in the last okay. 2 weeks. There is a a Magnum store you know those Magnum? Oh, yeah. There's a lot of hype about this. Okay. It's like a pop-up or something, Yeah. Right? There's a Magnum pop-up store. What is Magnum? Magnum bars, like the, oh, yeah, the ice cream bar. Okay. Love them. Love They're them. They're so good, right? We get them at WoWo for eight kwai. And I'm not even kidding. There's a line of, I would say, 90, 90 to 10 Chinese girls to 10 dudes, right, in a line. And it is an hour minimum from the time it opens to the time it closes, one hour long. Line. What is it like boutique ice cream? I What's, don't even know. Okay. Yeah, it's 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 a, it's a, it's basically it's like hand dipped Magnum bars with some stupid jimmies on them or something, right? <laughs> it's like whatever. I don't even who cares. It, it it better be it better be something amazing because I'm not waiting in line for an hour. 
So my friend's like, why would they wait in line for an hour for ice cream? And I said, they're not waiting in line for an hour for ice cream. They're paying 30 quai for a picture that ice cream is free. Right? Interesting. Interesting. So that's what they're paying for. They're paying for a picture of themselves with this stupid ice cream bar. And then the ice cream, it's like, who cares? They, most of them probably, probably, probably don't eat it, right? Well, it's like, you know, the voodoo donut of Chengdu. Exactly. You know, it's like exactly. a spectacle food. It's know? a total spectacle food. So so that kind of stuff is super successful. But would the Magnum store have a line a year from now? Unlikely. Unlikely. Yeah, seems Agreed. very unlikely. Agreed. So This is also peak ice cream season right now. But it is. Magnum's the kind of thing that they can afford to do that oh, sure. <laughs> you know of i course. mean they can so, afford like to, a random yeah. like individual going to lengkwai phone that's just like mm-hmm. kind of a death wish it is uh, I was, in I agree. my opinion another example of this kind of is the lazy pug there's a lot to say about the lazy pug but the owners the original proprietors of the lazy pug are good friends of mine and of chris too i think and they spent a couple years establishing this restaurant mm-hmm. in chandu and they were highly successful at it it was a fantastic restaurant at the time it was probably the like one of the most loved um, expat restaurants in the city. They moved from their original location, which was on First Ring Road, to the Master Building. I think it's called. Yeah, the Master House. Yeah. Yeah, which is also very very expensive location, yeah. and they ran it successfully there for a bit, and then they left and went to Thailand, and now they have a different restaurant there, which is also successful. The Smoking Pug. Yeah. Very successful. Right. So they sold the Lazy Pug to someone else who ran it. Yes. And then he sold it to someone else who ran it. And my feeling was kind of over the last year that it's been owned, you know, the owner is a really nice guy, but has been kind of absent for a lot of that period. And I think that has had a disastrous effect on the, the business kind of in decline at Lazy Pug. And that in combination with the very high rent made it, mm-hmm. I think, really difficult to sustain. Do you have any thoughts on the closing of the Lazy Pug in particular? I think that uh, I think that a lot of things happened with the Lazy Pug. One, Masters is pretty empty right now. I mean, people moved out. You know, a lot of the problems with these kind of expat businesses, especially ones like Lazy Pug, where the ticket's a little bit higher and it's sort of more of a dine-in thing, they need Chevron employees and Shell employees and Volvo and all these people, right, who who are big and and these companies goals are to send someone from America to China, not indefinitely, but long enough to train a Chinese person, do what they do and then go back home to America, right? These guys are making a hundred thousand dollars a year to go to China. So they need those big money, those whales to be in there all the time drinking and, and, and feeling like they're back home. Right? So they didn't have that. A lot of there's a lot of layoffs in that industry, and I'm sure, like as you can see in the high tech zone, there's probably less foreigners than there were before. Maybe that's a great point about the oil industry in particular, right? And how that's declined. So that's definitely declined. Uh, I also think that that um, Danny and Dana, who own the Smoking Pug and who own the Lazy Pug before the original proprietors, built that place around their name, around their image, right? And and around how cool they are. I've never met them, but I. I'm every single person I've ever met has said they're amazing people. Yeah, they're super I pretty much totally accurate. Stopped going after they left. Right. Okay. Me, so that's me too, a big problem. Yeah. Me too. Pretty much. And that's not anything about the next set of owners. They were cool people too, but maybe not quote unquote as cool or not the same cool that you thought they would be or whatever. Right. You want what you had. If, if I would have sold the donut shop to some other people, you'd be like, dude, screw those people. How do you even do that? Right. Precisely. So, so, and then, so then it coasted through the next ownership and the final ownership 
like you said, the guy is amazing. Super cool dude. He's a family man. He's, you know, he's super involved in the community. He runs the hash. He does rotary. I mean, he's a really, really great guy. But I think that you can't, I think that people don't understand that you can't just own a restaurant, right? If you want to invest in a restaurant, that's fine. If if someone came to Chris and said, hey, I want to give you 10 million or, or 100 million RMB to make a giant Dave's Oasis and Taiku Lee, and you're going to work there, you'd say, okay, or whatever, right? Uh, but that person's maybe. like, I don't want to ever be there. So, but you can't, you can't just own a, you can't own a restaurant and want to be the proprietor and never be there or, or, or expect someone else to, to run it for you or, or whatever. It just doesn't work. It, it's just something you either have to bleed on it or you have to, or you have to let go of it. Absolutely. There's a few yeah. people I think that do this pretty well that actually have figured it out. And one of them may be Dieter because he has two and he's very involved in everything. And he has the beer nest and one and two. two. Yeah. Right. And he also has a stake in Lakav and he has a stake in Munchwich and he has a stake in some other things. Right. So he's arguably the biggest business mogul. Right. I would argue that too. But that. I think that what he does well is manage the expectations of people seeing him there, which is if he's there, he's, Hey, he's cool. He's like, he's like a marketing person more than he is an owner of anything. Sure. So, so you could do it that way too. But, um, but yeah, the 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 second owner, the third owner is the Lazy Pug. It just and and you know what else? What else happened? I mean, what is the Lazy Pug? Did they change anything? That's a great question. I'm not sure, but I know that when I would go to the restaurant, it felt different. It didn't right. feel the same because it felt different. Yeah. Like going to your donut shop, you go inside and you're used to seeing the people right. who run it, and they right. welcome you, and it's theirs, and it's them, and right. so much of the business is around their personality. And without that, it just loses something which feels really valuable exactly but would you what how would you have felt if you would have gone in and they would have and, and the third owners would have said hey you know what the lazy pug is cool but we're gonna retire it we're gonna dump it we're gonna scrap it and we're gonna start something else even if they keep the same basic decoration they put some new pictures on the wall they change the name to something else actually i don't know if you know this um but this made me really laugh um so i spoke to michael which is the guy who's been yeah. running lazy yeah, pug yeah. for the last year and I asked him, you know, I was kind of shocked that it was closing because it's been open for, you know, mm -hmm. seven years or whatever. And I said, well, what's going to happen next? Is there going to be another lazy pug or are you going to open another restaurant or is it gone for good? And he said, oh, there's a new owner. He's like, he sold the place yep. to someone else. He sure did. And the place is called whatever. It's called whatever. Whatever bar. It's called whatever. I don't even know. It's called whatever bar. I think it's whatever bar. Oh, it's whatever bar. I think so. I we, thought it was. We strolled in there. Uh, uh, we were in the area, and uh, they Lazy Pug had just moved out. And mm -hmm. we walked by. We we locked our bikes in the area, and we saw that the doors are open. And the uh, uh, I forgot his name. The new proprietor, it's Clay. Clay, right? He but came not out. to be confused with Clay from the range. Right, not the right. different Clay. Clay. Right. Very so important. this so very very uh, amiable uh, Clay walks out. It's like, hey guys, you want to come in for a drink? So he seems like a really nice guy, and we're like, oh, we're talking to him. Like, oh, so what are your plans for the place? Like, oh yeah, I don't know. Like whatever, whatever. Like, jeez, <laughs> I, I could not feel less optimistic about the name of a place. Right. I had a very weird, a similarly weird experience in there. And I thought to myself, and, and now they've put the name whatever over the sign that was the Lazy Pug. So the dog sort of peeks out over the <laughs> sign that says whatever. It's very weird. It just sounds like a disaster. You the know, of <laughs> I just like, I, yeah, whatever. Oh, my goodness. Whatever. I can't imagine that this place is going to avoid any of the things which killed the Lazy Pug. But yeah. who knows? We'll see. Uh, One other place which I really was anxious to talk with you about, Johnny, in particular, 
was Artisans, which was a really good rap restaurant, which is right directly next door to another much loved Tonsilin expat eatery, Red Beer Burgers. Right. And the guy who started Artisans in an up and tray, coming, right? And an up and coming restaurant eatery, Dosh Ramp, right next door to that. It's sandwiched between. Oh, them. sandwiched in between the yeah. two. Yeah. In any case, when Artisans opened, I thought it was really great. I mean, the the guy who started it was a really nice guy, mm-hmm. made really good food, and it was unique. It was not like something you could get anywhere else in Chengdu. And it stayed open for a while with him running it, and I thought it was great at that time. Yeah. I mean, I was going kind of on a regular basis. Probably like once a week I'd go there. And then he left Chengdu. And then I heard, I think from you maybe, that he sold it to someone else and was kind of not involved anymore. And right. Then he, and then he came back. And then can you explain like it's, what has I think happened it's with that difficult. place? I think it's difficult to really get into what happened with artisans without sounding like I'm 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 talking talking a mess about the owner. But thankfully he's gone back in America <laughs> now and artisans are totally closed. I think it's I think it's an open door. Yeah, we can't talk shit about anyone else because they're still here. Yeah, they're all still here, right? But but he is gone. So so I think what happened look, I think what happened was he he opens restaurants concepts all over and then he sort of does some modif- some version of the following right and i don't know exactly how it all works but this is my idea of of what happens so he says hey i opened this dope restaurant everyone loves it right i'm going to sell it to you i'm not going to sell it to you i'm going to rent it to you so you give me 3000 kwai a month right over and above all the rest of the stuff, and you keep all the profits on top of that, right? This restaurant's super busy, check the books, right? Maybe it's really busy, or maybe it isn't, who knows? But you rent it from him, and then, so so if you take a loss, you still pay him regardless. So that was what was happening. But if the restaurant's successful, then it's fine, then you just pay forever, and he just makes money for him residual forever, and you keep it going, and then you have a stake in it, it's sort of like a management ownership partnership thing but in Chengdu he failed pretty miserably because this doesn't work that way you know in in America you don't care who is serving your rap because who cares it right? meets a certain level of quality where, uh, yeah where you, it doesn't here you just want to rap I remember when I went in there one time after he was gone and I didn't realize you know I didn't think in my head like Trey's here or he's gone or right. whatever I just went inside to get some food right I go inside and there's a group of like four Chinese middle-aged Chinese men who are chain smoking and playing cards awesome and I'm just like <laughs> what is going on here like is this a restaurant still yeah and yeah. it was like sweaty hot in there and they're like oh oh and they like put their cigarettes out and like turn on the AC and I'm like what the hell's going on here man and exactly. that's just kind of what happens you know well, yeah I mean this is this is China so so all the ideas it just sort of go out the window when it comes to that that kind of thing. So anyway, so then he so then he closed it because those people said, "Hey, we're not making any money. We're not going to pay you, right?" So he was in America doing some others, doing another restaurant just like this, and so he just had them close it and not pay him. So he's paying to have it not be open, and then he came back to try to do it again to restart it, and then he ended up getting a transfer fee. I'm, I'm guessing from another restaurant, and they demolished it, and now it's gone. Yeah. So the way that I found out about this was, I think, from Chris, who posted or sent me a screenshot of the uh, Food Finders group, which is a popular WeChat group in Chengdu. Yeah. And which you, which a lot of people uh, speak very critically it's great, of. It's a great group. One best group. It's the best, and one best group of the best year. Best bro. Number one. It's the best group of the entire year. So I just saw a screenshot of discussion in the group, and the discussion was Artisans is closed now, and it was an image of just like the destroyed rubble. Yeah. of what the restaurant used to be with the sign above it. 
Yeah, and now it's going to be Guangdong food, which I'm very excited for. So, wow, dramatic. So, dramatic. how's it looking for the remaining places? What do we have left? We have Mike's Pizza Kitchen. That's probably not going anywhere. I, because I wouldn't imagine Mike's would go anywhere ever. Yeah, and that I, is like extremely well run. Yeah, right. Very, very much patronized all the time. Well, and I, I think the the thing is that that. If, if it starts to get tough, Mike just doubles down harder. You know what I mean? And that's something that he's really good at. And that's something that my personality doesn't allow for in some ways. It's like, I think that, look, there are people in the world who go up to the mountains and, and, and they do monk stuff and they like poke a tree for, for, you know, 10 years, how their finger can like poke through it or whatever. And it's their, and they're like, they're like so disciplined you know, there's people who eat the exact same food every day and work out at the same times every day and go to sleep at the same time every day. And they never drink and they never do anything crazy and they never go out. And it's just like, they just do this, 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 and this. And that's not what Mike is exactly, but I'm saying that there's a levels of discipline for everyone. Right. And I think that Mike is extraordinarily disciplined and, and that really shows in everything he does. Mike is almost as close to that description as anybody I know in Chengdu. He's very monk-like. Yeah, it's if true. anything, he's the poster child of uh, successful foreign-run businesses. I absolutely agree. I hundred percent. Yeah, I agree with that too. Yeah, he absolutely is. But and I think that I, you know, I didn't, and I obviously couldn't cut it in that in that racket. You know, I just I just didn't have it in me to do to do that kind of that level of of uh, of dedication. You know, I just I just didn't have it. So, like I said, when when my, you know, when there was an imbalance in my life that was too great, then I had to I had to say I have to be done. You know. What do you think? Uh, what What do you think that he does specifically, business wise? Uh, what do you think is the the main factor for why right. he well, does so well? Well, I think there's two things. I think it's sort of it's it's it's, it's a two way street, right? Um, I'm not married, so I don't have a wife. I think that him and his wife work together wonderfully as a team. I mean, I Ching is amazing, and I think if either one of them quit, it would be impossible. Uh, I, I think so. So the fact that she is so dedicated and as in as in and is as dedicated as he is 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 number one. I think that that the, they can work together so well. She's also brilliant, uh, and and he spares no expense, and she figures out how to make that work. So he says, "I'm going to buy an oven from Italy and wood from Italy and water and flour and salt and whatever from Italy," and then she figures out how to sell that. You know. Yes, it is amazing all the stuff that goes into what happens at Mike's Pizza Kitchen in particular. Yeah. All the cost and trouble and expense that goes into little things which no one would ever think about, like importing water. Yeah. What? Yeah. Like when I realized that, I'm like, man, is there any way you can like make this information available to your customers? Because that's like mind blowing. Because yeah. I know people who are like, you know, 80 quai for a pizza, it seems kind of steep. And it's like, this is imported water and flour right. and like everything. <laughs> exactly. Like literally everything comes from like a different exactly. continent. And you know, I have, I, I, and this is one of the reasons that I've left some of the WeChat groups that I've left, but it's like, I'm sort of tired of like fighting with people about why things cost so much. It's like, go open your own import export business and bring in everything wholesale. Then if you want to pay nothing for everything, it's like, if you want to, if you want to buy and people are like, oh, why is this beer so expensive? It's like, go to Goose Island Brewery in Chicago yourself, barter with them, get a container ship full of beer to come to Shanghai, figure out how to get it to Chengdu and then put it in storage for six months. And drink all of it because it goes bad that fast. Like, it's like, what do you think? Of course, it's expensive. It has to travel a long way, right? Chicago is not next door. So, so yeah, things are expensive. And if you want it, pay for it. If you don't want it, don't pay for it. Just eat 
not that. The thing so, is, these things are not priced that expensive. No. Like if you compare it to being in any other country, I think it's just because they're comparing it to the you know the the eight quai bowl of noodles that they had for lunch. Right. I do. I do. I know we're we're gonna, we're going to run long, but I just want to talk about Chris. What is the cost on that eight quai bowl of noodles? Probably like one point five. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe one point five quai. They're marking that thing up. 800 percent yeah they are raping us all and no one talks about it we yeah if you want to if you want to live crime. cheap in Chengdu, crime don't go expat anything right right uh, because actually don't i mean just buy your own noodles from care and put them in the pot at home for the water is free the noodles are one and quiet and then top it off with a little bit of you know a little bit of slurry you drug out of the gutter and that's free too and you're good to go <laughs> I mean, how much? Get some I mean, uh, gutter oil. Get some spice gutter oil. It up. Yes, get spaghetti oil spicy. Yeah. <laughs> so you touched on two really important things. I'm thinking for anybody who's listening to this, who is thinking about starting a business in Chengdu, or maybe someone who has a business in Chengdu, which is expat focused and doesn't want to have it close, like Lazy Pug or Artisans or some of these other places which we've talked about. Two of the things which you've touched on are really relevant good tips. And one is to have a competent Chinese partner, yeah. which is invaluable. And the other is to commit entirely to what you're doing. Right. Are there any other tips or general guidelines which you think apply to maybe different industries which might be expat focused? I think have an idea of how you can market how you can market to to local people. I think that that local people are not as focused on if if Magnum sold those bars in the wrapper, there would not be an hour long line. A lot of it is like is like the pomp and circumstance of everything. We all laugh about like, oh, this person's house looks like Louis the Fourteenth. Yeah, that's like a two hundred and fifty thousand quai house decoration only, right? Like someone made a ton of cash on that. So like we're laughing, but it's like, you know, someone laughed all the way to the bank when they bought that portrait of 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 you know Napoleon or whatever to put on the wall. Mm-hmm. It's it's like think about how you can how you can you know bring in people and and give them a little bit higher price point. They want to see the value, I think, and that's something that Mike's does well, especially with the new location. He does so well, and that's something that 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 obviously Magnum is doing great, and Starbucks does great. You know, when Starbucks came here, they said they said, "Oh, you can't afford it. Good, don't drink it. We don't want you to." Right, and everyone's like, "I can afford it," and they rushed <laughs> over there. You know, and maybe they even, maybe we even see people who fill up the Starbucks cup they got on Monday with their own coffee for four days and then they get another one on Monday because no one in their right mind is making 3K a month and spending 33 quai of that every day on Starbucks, right? 33 quai, I think, is for the very cheapest coffee you the can possibly coffee. get. Like, That's I'm like a, an Americano. I'm astounded at how expensive yeah, everything is at Starbucks. Yes, it is right. absolutely mind-blowing. But they really did come in. I mean, there's a, there's been like reports written about it where you can like read about it online. They came into, they come into a market and they say, good, we don't want you to buy it. You do not afford it. You do not deserve it, you know? And that's like one of the things where it's like, wow, right? But that, that's, is, that, is, that, is that approach is just... It's really high level understanding of China. I yeah. think that is like yeah. a really, really intelligent way to do it. Um, if Starbucks smart. were to come in and say, we need to make it cheap and available to everyone, that seems like absolutely they the wrong crash move. crash and burn for yes, sure. Yes, what they did. Right. I mean, I remember when the first Starbucks opened in Chengdu. I think it was about nine years ago. How was the line? It was a line like nightmare. 
Um, I don't remember much of a line, but I remember a lot of discussion about it. I remember a lot of doubters in particular. A lot of people were saying, China's a tea country. It's not a coffee country. People Mm -hmm. are not interested in coffee. There's no coffee lifestyle here. It's not something that people are going to care about. And now, what is there, like hundreds of Starbucks? People are interested in whatever that you tell them they're interested in. Right. That's what's really funny. You know, there is a, across the street from my house, there was an amazing little coffee stand. And they had like a thousand dollar coffee machine. They had like mm-hmm. legit equipment, wow. you know? Yeah. And they're yeah. making like fantastic coffee. It's like 10 quai. I would go there all the time, but I felt like it was just me going there and I would talk to them and, you know, chat with them. They're very friendly. They weren't open in the morning. And I'd be like, Hey, what if you open in the morning to, you know, make coffee available? And they're like, yeah, no one buys coffee in the morning. And I'm like, oh, I guess so. And then I would go there in the afternoon and it felt like nobody was going there. And I was kind of concerned that the place wouldn't mm-hmm. stick around for long and it ended up closing. Right. And people just don't want coffee, I guess. You know, they want Starbucks. Yeah. They, Starbucks isn't coffee. It's Starbucks. Right. right. That's the thing. Like, and Starbucks also opens at 830. Could you imagine a Starbucks in America opening at 830 in the morning? People would lose their minds. They'd be like, what, what's wrong? Are these, what's wrong? Is this even a corporate store? Or is this like a fake? Like, we don't know. It's too late. Yeah. But yeah, here, here it's, uh, it's crazy. Yeah, a lot of brands have taken that similar strategy. Absolutely. Well, know. they're opening a Starbucks every day in China, yeah. one a day. That's, yeah, yeah. That doesn't surprise me. Like, they're trying to catch up to the demand of it. It's it's crazy. Right. You know, they want to have 2,000 by, like, next like four, four years from now or whatever. So, What else should we talk about as we start to wrap up this conversation about why expat businesses fail? Do you guys have any thoughts about which places might close next or in the near future? I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to put a nail in anyone's coffin. Yeah. Really. I, I don't. I don't really know. You know, I really hope that. You know, I look. The, the the something that's happening too is I think that the more people who can go abroad and and can come back, um, I think the more people who can do that, we'll, we'll see more expat businesses be successful. I mean, I'm excited for a new generation of expat businesses, which is not ABC, because Chris is an American is an American comrade of mine, a fellow American, but people who have gone over and, and really like something and then come back like Morgan Steakhouse, for example, steaks are really good. He went over, he spent five or five or six years in America and he came back and he's like, Oh, I love steak. There's no good steak here. I'm gonna do that. The shrimp, man. Anson. Da shrimp. Anson yeah, that's too, right. Right. He he's went to Hawaii four years, products bomb came back, said, I, I miss the, I miss the North shore shrimp. Right. Like that's awesome. That is awesome. You know, and I wouldn't even think to make North Shore shrimp. So thank God he went and did that. It's nice because it's something that was never available before. Exactly. And now it's available. Absolutely. And that's, that's adding real value. So, so I, I hope to see more success in expat businesses. And I think that the best way to do it is by everyone getting together. Like, like you know, the more things we can do, the range had a, and, and, and McElroy's got together on like a barbecue and they made no money on it. And it was it was a sort of a nonprofit thing. And they went to Batting Star and they brought all these expats to Batting Star, which is a indoor batting cage bar like west of the city. And they have no affiliation with They have business. no affiliation, right? They went over to Batting Star and they're like, hey, we want to bring you a bunch of business. And Batting Star's like, okay, well, okay, yeah, what do we need to do? And they're like, give us some space. And they're like, cool, you can barbecue, you can sell your own food, you can sell your own drinks. We just want people to come see what we do. Right. And that's awesome. Like yeah. And the fact they made no money on it. I mean, they sold it at cost and, and, and a lot of people, way more people came than they thought would come and they had a great experience and just being able to bring the community, community together is huge. That's super important. Yeah. That's pretty nice. I will say you guys don't want to list any places, but, um, 
I have one in you mind. You can list places. Yeah, I can we, do we're that. not gonna we're not gonna list. The big one on my mind is Bookworm. Um, I'm surprised that Bookworm has been here for so incredibly long, and I like the place. I don't go there regularly. I haven't been there in a while, and I'm guessing you guys haven't either. But it's a it's like the biggest bookshop in like this half of China, probably. And it's in a pretty nice location. It's a really it large place. It's a cool it's spot. A, it's a restaurant, kind of cafe. And I think it used to be more focused around books, around renting and purchasing books than it is now. I think that's just kind of like wall dressing, sort of. Hmm. But bookstores are not really open anywhere at all, like on earth, pretty much. Uh, maybe you have like used bookshops in like Chiang Mai, Thailand for like backpackers. But in general, bookshops are not the kind of thing you see. So I'm amazed that that place has stayed in Chengdu as long as it has. There, there has been a resurgence of paperback books lately. Um, they're up quite a bit. That and vinyl records, sort of weird. Vinyl records, definitely. Vinyl big. records are money right hipsters, now. The hipsters, hipsters they want it. But they, <laughs> hipsters also want to read books now. I don't, I don't understand it. I'm all about digital books. I think it's way better. No, they don't want to read books. They just want to browse at the bookshop. Yeah, they want to go and they want to do some browsing. They want to be they want to be seen in there. Yeah, but I don't know. I think the bookworm could do for a revamp. I think that wouldn't wouldn't hurt. I think that if if someone said, "Hey, where can I buy a book?" Would you send them the bookworm? Is that would you think about it? Is it on your radar? Uh, if someone was like, "Hey, I want to buy a book," I'd be like, "What are you talking about?" Yeah, what do you <laughs> mean buy? <laughs> right. Um, I don't know. I you know I don't know. I don't know anything about their their business. Honestly, um, I I I'll probably head over there sooner than later to check it out. Uh, you haven't been there. I've been there. Okay. I've been there once or twice, and it's nice. There's a little patio. You can eat some breakfast out there. Yeah. I've heard that. Uh, you know, who, who was the guy that used to run the kitchen? Chris from New York. No. Um, what was his name? Damn. What was his name? He was a super nice guy. Really cool dude. And I think that when he left, I, I've I've heard the food is not as good as it used to be. The food was fantastic when he was there. Really, really yeah. good. Yes. And I think that really propped him up. I think that's another example. It's like you have to be consistent. Because yeah, yeah. word spreads Andrew. fast. Here. Andrew, Andrew is his name. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Word spreads fast here, right? If, if, if Chris serves a bad chicken sandwich, which I don't think would ever happen because uh, Dave's Oasis chicken sandwich is probably the best in the city. Top, top one. Thanks. Uh, but if he served a bad chicken sandwich, everyone would know the next day. There's not very many people here. 30,000 people is like a small, small town and they all talk to each other. Yeah, they do. Yeah. yeah you know? That's a really interesting thing that you brought up. Just like the food finders group. Like if, if you fuck up. Like they will you, hang you. Yeah, you'll get blasted. They want to hang yeah. you. There's a right. hair in your soup. You, yeah, you're done. Yeah, even though even though you can watch a rat walk by at almost every other restaurant in this country and it's fine. But if if Chris has a hair in his soup, then he, he's a terrible. All person. hell's gonna break loose. Yeah, exactly. How does a TripAdvisor factor into this? Has that been an important part of successful restaurants here? Do you find? Uh, or is it not really Only matter? like with, with travelers that are coming through. Yeah. Uh, local people don't really go, no. go on trip. However, I, I, I do think that your DM ping score does matter. I mean, I know Mike's Pizza is in the top 100 of DM ping, and there's like 80,000 restaurants on there. Wow, that's so really it's high. pretty high. Um, I don't know. You know what I think factors in is like every now and then you'll get something just hits. It's 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 difficult to, to say, but it like... You, you'll hit on something and it will be the dopest thing for six months and it will be on, you know, you have some viral video that everyone shares or something and, and then you have a line around the block all of a sudden. It's like you don't really know what it's going to be. It's, it's difficult to predict. I think this market especially more than others because someone could just be like, oh, someone with 200,000 Weibo followers could just be like, oh, this donut's really bomb. And then all of a sudden the next day 
Yeah, you get, yeah, yeah. Your, your damping score, uh, your Weibo, because yeah. you have to appeal to the local demographic. Right. I think that's key. Exactly. And make everything photogenic. I mean, that would be like yeah. the number one thing for me would be like make it photogenic yeah. and, and serve it in a dope box. I think the box is more important than the than the food inside. Right. Yeah. Once or you get the, Chinese, uh, young Chinese people taking selfies with the right? food, then you're that's, good. That's you're money. That's that's money right there. You know it. Get on Maypie. Yeah. Got to get on Maypie and get it going. All right. Well, I'm going to wrap this up. I want to thank you guys so much for joining me on this podcast. Uh, Johnny, on behalf of all the people who you've affected, thank you so much for running your donut shop for Absolutely. as long as you did. Thanks, John. Really, thank really an amazing. My list the shop. You guys can always send me a WeChat if you want to grab a beer. I'm always down. We'll grab one of Dave's Oasis. Find him in the Come Food Finders up. group. Find him. Yeah. Um, just wonderful contribution to the city. And Chris, I'm really glad that you're running Dave's Oasis. I am too. For anybody who's uh, interested in learning more about that, check out the interview on chunderliving.com and visit Dave's Oasis. Yeah. And uh, thank you very much for listening. Is there anything else you guys want to plug? Um, you're up to or promoting any expat businesses, restaurants, anything? We just want to say, we just want to say, go eat, eat expat. Yeah. Eat expat. The eat expat. There yeah. we go. There we go. All, All right. right. All right.